Now, the Apostle Paul was used by the Holy Spirit to write virtually, essentially half of New Testament Scripture. Now, that's astounding. Imagine that. How amazing to be used by God in this way. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul at that time didn't realize that he was being used by the Holy Spirit to actually write canonized scripture, to actually deliver the very word of God to the church of that day, but for all time. He didn't realize that, but that's what God was doing. See, God was at work. The Apostle Paul was just a guy. Had a lot of issues. Did a lot of stupid things in his life. But he surrendered his life to the Lord. He took up his cross daily. He was a faithful and willing vessel in the hands of the living God. And God took his willingness and his faithfulness, his small contributions, and he used it for so much more. And as we're just considering that. This is just a man that God used for these amazing purposes. I want to say that, that there's a lot of just, just regular guys and gals and, and men and women and, and people of all ages and stages of life right here in this room and watching online right now. And God is still in the business of taking regular people and in spite of their mess, as they come and they humble themselves before the Lord, they take up their cross daily, and they are just faithful, willing vessels in God's hands. He is still using people for so much more than we could ever hope, think, or even imagine. And I want you to realize that right now about your life. He will take your willingness and your faithfulness and do much with it. And I hope you believe that. And if you don't, spend some time with the Lord and let him convince you of that. Let him convince you of that. So the first book that we're going to read through from the Apostle Paul is the book of Romans. And everybody's excited because that's the longest book. And you just love the long books. We're doing almost all the long books of the New Testament up front. So by the time we get to like Jude or Philemon, y'all are going to be like, dude, this is easy. I feel like I'm cheating. You know what I'm saying? So we're, we're getting, we're, we're doing it. We're, we're front loading this with the big stuff, right? With the long stuff. So we're, we're going to dive in and we're going to read through the book of Romans. But I want to give you, I'm going to give you a heads up even before I get to the end. We're going to spend at least three weeks. I'm even considering four weeks in the book of Romans. But we already have at least three weeks I thought I'd do it in two. No, not two. It's going to be three, maybe four. So this is going to take us at least through Easter and maybe beyond that. Open up your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. We're not going to go through line by line. You know that. But we are going to read this first verse of this letter. And it says, Paul. You know, in our letters, we always sign the letters at the end. So you could start reading a letter and not know who in the world is writing this amazing letter to you until you get to the end. So I don't know why we do this, but you've got to go turn all the way to the end of the letter first and then start at the beginning. They were a little bit smarter back in the day, and Paul would just put his name right up front. Whoever was writing a letter to somebody put it right up front. So here we have it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be 
an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul wrote this letter. It's very clear. The Apostle Paul. And here's something that I want to point out as we jump into this first letter by the Apostle Paul. Paul knew who he was, and he understood his purpose. And we see that right here as he's introducing himself. He didn't say, hey, I'm Paul, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but here's what I got. No, this guy says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He knew who he was, and he knew his purpose. And I'm, I wonder how many of us really know who we are. And then beyond that, how many of us really know what our purpose is? I mean, like our real purpose. We can know both of those things. God wants you to know who you are. And if you're a Christian, it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Sean, a servant of Christ Jesus. Jamie, a servant of Christ Jesus. I pray that we all can say that about ourselves. I want to encourage you, if, if you're struggling with knowing really who you are, and if you're struggling with understanding your purpose, God doesn't want that hidden from you. He wants you to know both of those things. So I want to encourage you to go to the one who has decided both of those things, your identity and your purpose, and that is go to God and spend time with Him, interacting with Him, letting Him tell you who you are and what your purpose is. It's not going to deviate that far from what Paul's identity and purpose is right here. You know what he says? He's an apostle. Now, he was, he was special in that case. He was like with a capital A. That was an a, a actual um, role that he played in the body of Christ. But the word apostle means sent one. And if you're a Christian, you're a sent one. Read the Great Commission. You're a sent one. If you're a Christian, you're a servant of God. If you're a Christian, you are set apart because that's what holy means. We are made holy in Christ Jesus. We are set apart for what? For the gospel. To be what? Salt and light. All right, let's dive into this. That, that, that first part, I just, that was just kind of some pastoral stuff, just so that we kind of stir us up a little bit. Let's get into the, the letter of Romans right now. I always like to start off with looking for the why. Why? Why am I going to read this letter? Why was it written? Why does it matter to me right now? Why? Do, do you ask the why? Do you look for the why when you open up God's word? Or do you just start reading and see where it kind of ends up? Most of us probably, that's how we do it, right? That's how I used to do it. I just used to open up, okay, God, what do you got for me today? This, all right, what does it mean? I don't know, but I think it probably means this, and I heard somebody say this one time. Um, anyway, 
why is always the first question I have when reading the Bible? Why has God given us this scripture? Why has God given us this letter that Paul wrote all those years ago to this church in Rome? Why? Why was it originally written? And the Lord, the Lord gave me this little phrase this week as I was putting my notes together. And, and it goes like this. Understanding the why helps us properly apply. I guess that was already on the screen. Y'all got a heads up on that. But God gave me that. Understanding the why helps us properly apply. Understanding the why of Scripture, the why of this book, the why of this passage, the why of this doctrinal statement. Understanding the why helps us properly apply it to our lives. Too many jump right past the why and they find themselves wrongly dividing God's word. And wrongly applying the word of God to their lives. So we're going to look for the why up front here as we dive in to this letter to the Romans. So let's cut to the chase. The why of Romans is summarized in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Here is the why of this entire letter. It's in two verses. Right up front here. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith faith. So leave that up on the screen. There's some key words that you need to pull. And in fact, I might even have a slide with the key words on there. Key words are this. Gospel, everyone. Believe in faith. Take a picture of that. Or get the notes that are out on the U version right now under events, evident life. There's the notes are out there. These key words, as you're reading this letter, Romans, look for these key words. They will jump off the page at you. You cannot get away from these words. And these words summarize the why of Romans. Point number one today as we dive into Romans is the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. That's the why. We have Romans so that we will never forget that the gospel is for everyone. Look to the person next to you. I don't always do this, but let's just do this today. Look to the person next to you and say, the gospel is for you. And then the other person say, the gospel is for you. It's for everyone. And Paul says, he's very specific though. Paul says it's not just for the Jew. And it's not only for the Gentile. It's not just for some predetermined, pre-select group of people out there. Paul is very clear. That the gospel of Jesus is for all who believe. Look back at verse 16. The gospel is for all who believe. It's for you. It's for your neighbor. It's for your co-worker. It's for your friend. It's for your enemy. The gospel is for all. Who would believe? Why don't we do this? I don't know, man. Maybe I'm getting a little Pentecostal today. 
I'm, I'm looking for a little interaction, I guess, today. So would you just say this after me? If you believe this, if you want to just say what Paul just wrote, why don't you just say this after me? Say, the gospel, the gospel is, for all is for all who believe. That was good. Well done. Well done. And that's point one of today's message. It's for all who believe. It's for everyone. Yet we still struggle with this thing in, in our world today, in our society today, and in the church today. We struggle with so many things that separate us. There is so much that separates us. But God's message through Romans is that we are united in Christ through faith. And that's point number two. The gospel is for everyone, point number one. Point number two, that we are united in Christ through faith. These are the big whys. These are, this is the big message, the big purpose, and the big reason why Paul felt compelled to write this letter. And when we understand these things and we read everything through this lens, this bigger picture and understanding lens, then the smaller pieces... The, the smaller doctrinal statements that are so important, they begin to fit better and we begin to properly divide them and understand them and apply them to our lives. So we're united in Christ. Let's get to the backstory of this because that's going to let us know a lot of the why. We understand that Paul, in chapter 1, verse 7, wrote this letter to a group of Christians he calls them saints, a group of saints in Rome. And every time I see the word saint, I'm tempted to do this, and I'm going to do it right now. If you are in Christ Jesus, please do not identify yourself as a sinner any longer. For if you believe that the work of Christ on the cross that we just celebrated just now with communion has truly transformed you and saved you, if you believe you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you believe that the work of Christ was enough for the old to pass away and for the new to come, then you have a new identity. You are no longer sinners. You could say, I was a sinner, but Scripture calls you now a saint. One who's been redeemed. That's incredible. And I don't want us to miss that. And, and I believe that as we identify with the old man and call ourselves sinners, I mean, Christians walk around and say, I'm just a sinner. Say, I'm just a sinner. I'm the, I'm the worst. I'm just a sinner. I'm like, dude, what, what is that? It'd be, it'd be like one of my kids walking around saying, I'm just an orphan. I'm like, who am I? I'm your dad. I'm the guy who's paying the bills and feeding you. And I mean, come on, what, what am I, chopped liver? Anyway, Paul wrote this to a group of Christians of saints to the church in Rome. This will help us understand the why. Hang with me here. See, the church in Rome, it wasn't planted by Paul. Paul did not, he planted a lot of churches. But Paul had nothing to do with planting the church in Rome. Paul not only didn't plant the church, he didn't know them. He'd never been there. He'd never ministered there. He'd never preached there. He'd never written them. He didn't know the folks. He didn't know the Christians in Rome. So how did the Christians get to Rome? How did a church spring up in Rome? 
And why did Paul feel the need to write to them? Well, on the day of Pentecost, remember we just went through the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, what happened? They were in Jerusalem. A bunch of Christians came to Jerusalem for Passover and all this stuff, right? And so the, 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 the streets are packed, and the church, waiting in the upper room for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, he comes, he baptizes them, and they come out and they preach the word of God, the gospel that's for everyone that we're reading about here. They preach it to everyone in the streets, and all kinds of people got saved. 3,000 were baptized that day. And then all the excitement in Jerusalem was over. It was time to go back home. Well, some of those Christians that got saved on the day of Pentecost went home to Rome. And they started a church. They started a church. Now, those Christians that were there on the day of Pentecost were more than likely Jews because they were there in Jerusalem for that purpose. And they get saved. And they take the way, the truth, the life. They take the gospel of Jesus back to Rome with them and look out, the church is going. So, this church, like most churches, planted and led by Jews, but between A.D. 41 and A.D. 50, this emperor named Claudius comes to power. And Claudius didn't like Jews. And so he expelled the Jews from Rome. He said, you're out of here. Get out of here. And so they had to leave. And they left the church to the Gentiles to run and to grow. Claudius died. Praise the Lord. Anyway, some people are probably praising God and having a party because of that. Um, he died. The next emperor, he welcomes the Jews back. Why? Because they're good for business. They just are. And so he welcomes them back. And so the Jews come back, and they, they found the church that they planted was now being led by Gentiles who were doing things a little bit differently. And divisions and us and them mentality arose in the church. I'm just glad that never happens in the body of Christ today. Man, we love all the different expressions and different ways of doing things. We're not just narrow-minded in our way, right? Anyway, so now we start to understand the why. Paul wrote this letter to deal with tension and to bring communion in a very diverse church. But check this out. How did Paul know about the church in Rome? He'd never been there. He didn't plan it. And how did he get a heart? Why did he have a heart for this church and want to help them out? Well, remember his, his dear friends, Priscilla and Aquila? He met them in Corinth when he was doing ministry in Corinth. And so he'd minister with them. He discipled a lot of people. He discipled them. They discipled people together. They even made tents together. You know, I mean, they did all kinds of stuff together, right? Well, Priscilla and Aquila were some of those Jews. They were two of those Jews who were expelled from Rome by Emperor Claudius. And so, more than likely, they let Paul know what was going on in the church in Rome. And so Paul understood what the need was there and felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to write to that church in Rome. So back to the why. Paul writes this letter to unite the church, to bring them together, to let them know that they're all in this together and that there's something greater that unites them, and that is their faith in Christ Jesus. Come on now, people. Get together. Y'all are in the same boat. You're on the same team. We're all following Jesus together. So Paul begins this way because Paul's a touchy-feely kind of guy. And so Paul decides, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to kind of level the playing field and let everybody know that, that they're all really the same and in this together. And he does that by by reminding all the believers that they're all equal sinners before the Lord. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. 
Y'all have sinned. Every one of you. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than the other guy? Y'all have sinned. They all have their problems. They all need Jesus equally. They were united in sin. But now they're united in Christ. That's a big point of this letter, a big part of the why. In chapter 6 and 7, when you're reading there, Paul calls out legalism, which was the issue with the Jews. Y'all remember when we studied through Galatians, the same thing was going on in the church in Galatia. Same issue. Jews were getting all wrapped up in legalism, and the Gentiles were all falling back into their old ways of licentiousness. And so those two same situations were going on in the church of Rome. And, Jesus, and, and Paul is like, hey, y'all are sinners, and y'all need Jesus. Every one of you. Whatever your sin is, you need Jesus. Chapter 8 reveals, here's the answer. The answer is liberty in the Spirit. Liberty of the Spirit is the great unifier in the church. And it needs to be the great unifier in Rome with the Jew and the Gentile. The liberty of the Spirit. And then in chapters 9 through 11, Paul deals with this faulty heretical belief that the church is somehow the new Israel. That the Jews are out. And that, that we, the church, even Gentiles, have taken their place. And by the way, this is called replacement theology. And it's, it's just flat out wrong. It claims that God discarded Israel and the church is the replacement. Paul warns, do you think that God is finished with the Jews? Never. Never. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that we Gentiles have been grafted in, not taken the place of. We've been grafted in to God's family. So this whole concept gets dealt with by Paul in this letter to the Romans because they were struggling with it. Paul also warns the Jews and tells them that not every Jew is a Jew. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> not every Jew is a Jew. In other words, Paul says this in Romans 9, 8. In other words, it is not the children of the physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise. The promise is all about faith. It's about Jesus and faith and belief in him. When you see the word promise in Romans, that's what it's talking about. But it's the children of the promise, those who, who have faith in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah, who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. But I would also follow this up and say that I would say that not every Christian who thinks they're a Christian is necessarily a Christian. Not every Christian who calls himself a Christian is necessarily a Christian. Are you living by faith or is it just a title? And Paul was saying the same thing to the Jews. Were you just born that way? Or are you a child of the promise? Living as one. But again, the key to Romans is Paul helping a diverse Jewish and Gentile church get along, find common ground, realize that they're all in this together. One salvation for all who believe the gospel is for everyone. We're all in the same boat, beloved. All of us right now. Whether it was 2,000 years ago when this letter was written, or whether it's today, or whether it's tomorrow, we're all in the same boat. We're all separated from God because of sin. We're all reconciled to God the same way through faith in Jesus. A primary message, the why of this letter to the Romans. 
Romans 3, 22 and 23, this is righteousness. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even in that passage, in the one that we looked at in in Romans 1, 16 and 17, you're going to see the theme of faith jumping off the pages of the letter to the Romans. Faith also known as belief or believe. Faith is all over the book of Romans. The message isn't that we're saved because we're some sort of predetermined class of people, whether Jew or Gentile or this or that. Rather, we're saved because of our belief, our faith in the work of Jesus. That's who is saved. The gospel is for everyone who believes, for everyone who has faith, walks by faith. And Paul is clear that even the Jew, God's chosen people, that they're not saved because of some predetermined decision that God made thousands and thousands of years ago, but rather they too are saved by faith, the same belief in the same gospel. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And I want to say this very, very quickly just to make sure everybody's heard this at least. Faith is not a work. Faith isn't you making something happen. Faith is not a work. Faith is trusting in the work of another. Faith is simply receiving and trusting in the work of Jesus. That's what faith is. Point number three. Final point for today. Not just for doctrine, but also for daily living. See, Romans addresses issues found in society, and it helps Christians understand how to live in a godless culture. You think that's appropriate for us today you think we, we need a little bit of this a little bit of this kind of encouragement Amen. you think so i think so i think probably so excuse me so i'm gonna i'm gonna dive right into something that anybody in here who's woke may struggle with right now and i'm not i'm not saying that just to be you know clever or whatever but but as i was reading through this and just seeking the lord on on kind of how to navigate through this letter to the Romans, this passage of Scripture jumped out at me. And I want to talk about it. I want to process it as the church today because the issue that's highlighted in this passage of Scripture that Paul was helping the Roman church navigate through is is an issue that we have in our culture today. There's nothing new under the sun. There really isn't. And that is the issue of homosexuality. It's a real problem today. It was a real problem back in the day when Paul wrote this letter. In fact, of the 15 Roman emperors up until that point, 14 of them were practicing homosexuals. And they were setting the tone for the entire Roman Empire. 
Things were trickling down. It was, it was affecting the entire society, the entire culture of the time. It was the acceptable, woke thing to do in that culture. And Paul knew that the church was having to navigate in and through this culture with all the different messages about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and what's right and what's wrong and what God is okay with and what he's not okay with. All the different messages. And we have all kinds of messages hitting us today as the church. I mean, all kinds of messages. If you're watching this on YouTube, there's all kinds of all kinds of craziness out there. So Paul, to help the church, just he spoke clearly and directly to the issues of the day. He didn't ignore it. And he spoke very clearly and directly to this issue that, that was, like today, really proliferated in their culture. And he says this in Romans 1, 26 and 27, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Now, when he says God gave them over, he is not saying that God caused them and predetermined that they would live this way. He gave them over. This was something they were already doing. They were already living in rebellion. So be careful when you read Scripture and it says God gave them over. It says this in other places in Scripture too. Realize that they were already choosing this and living this. God just said, okay, this is how you want to go. Go. He gave them over to shameful lusts. And it says, even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And it's popular today to say that the Bible doesn't address homosexuality and that Christianity really has nothing to say in regards to the LGBTQ plus movement and um, but the Bible does very clearly speak to this issue and doesn't beat around the bush about it either. God's word is clear. Why does God point out sin? Why does God call anything sin? Why does he call adultery sin? Why does he call lying sin and cheating sin and coveting sin? And Why does he call people out on this? Why does he call gluttony sin? Why does God say that? Because he loves us. And God has a way that is right for us. He designed us. We talked about it right up front, our identity and our purpose in life. God designed us and he created us. Beautifully and wonderfully, he knit us together in our mother's womb. And he doesn't want us to, to be robbed of who we are and how he created us. And so in love, he highlights things where we get off course. Why? To bring us back on course. Not to shame us, not to condemn us, not to embarrass us, but to bring us back to himself and his ways that are above the ways of this world, that are right, that bring peace, 
that bring joy and that glorify Him. So the Bible calls out homosexuality as a sin, but the, but the Bible calls out so many other things as sin as well. And in fact, Paul doesn't just stop there with this issue that was definitely a big-time issue in Rome at the time, and as we've seen, a big-time issue with us right now. But he goes right on, and he says, hey, just to let you know, there's a lot of other things here, too, that are going on in the culture. So let's just call them out. He says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. And I'm telling you what, we are watching that live and in person right now in our culture. They invent ways of doing evil. They were doing it back then too, though. And I'll tell you, you, a lot of times we think, man, it's never been as bad as it is right now. Jesus must be coming back tomorrow because this is as bad. It can't get any worse than this. Beloved, it has gotten worse than it is right now. It has. But it's bad right now. The church can navigate these hard times. We can navigate this stuff. We can can be who we are, say what we know, and give what we have in these times. The church has done it before. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Doesn't that define our culture today? As a church, we either choose God's way or we're right there with the world. There's no middle ground. There's no straddling any fences. There just isn't. And God is clear about his way. And we either believe it's the right way and that God understands and and he's got a great purpose and that he's smarter than us and more loving than us or we think we're, we're smarter than God. And that, that we have a better kind of love than God, who sent his only son, who hung on a tree, who took the nails and the thorn and the death and the sin of the entire world upon himself. We think we have some kind of better woke love than that. No. It was happening then, it's happening now. Evil isn't shamed. It's not shamed. Instead of it, it's exalted, it's promoted, it's protected, it's celebrated. And the church has lived in that kind of a culture before. And it's survived through that kind of a culture before. And it's thrived in that kind of a culture before. It's been pruned in that kind of a culture
We're in it today. I had some headlines. Don't show them. We don't need to show those headlines. I just brought two headlines from this past week, just brokenness that we live in, what we're doing to our children, what this culture is doing to our kids who are just trying to figure out who they are. And we get these supposed adults coming in and just dis, just, just destroying them physically even. It's evil. It's wrong. It's sin. It's brokenness. It, it, it deserves prison, in my opinion. It's bad. Don't sit by and just by the water cooler while people talk about this and just nod your head. Defend the weak and the powerless. Weak and the fatherless. Psalm 82 speaks of that. So like Paul, I feel compelled to address these cultural issues. Because to remain silent when people are getting hurt, when evil is advancing, is to be complicit. It just is. To just... To remain silent is to abandon the command of being salt and light. Have nothing to do, Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the, 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 the evil of the day, but instead... Point it out. Revelation 21.8 says that cowards will be condemned by the fiery lake of sulfur. Cowards are people who don't speak up when something's wrong. Aren't willing to, to, to step out and just saying. So I, I wasn't planning when I started to study and get ready for this first jump into Romans, part one of Romans, to, to really go here with this. But, but I even got thinking to myself that it just stirred me up, I guess. Because I'm, I, it, people are getting hurt so badly in our world today. So if you want a pastor who stays out of the fight, then this isn't the church for you. And you know what? And the Bible probably isn't the book for you either. Because this is the kind of stuff we run into when we study God's word and even the words of Jesus. So again, Romans reminds us that the gospel is the answer to real world issues. People are broken, depraved, lost, twisted. They need truth. They need the gospel of Jesus that saves, that corrects our thinking. The gospel is what the broken world needs. The gospel is for everyone. This is one of the reasons we feel compelled as a church to step out there and do whatever we can do to help families choose Christian education for their children because we want children and we want families to hear the gospel. We are believing that as we open this Christian school in the fall that there will be families who don't even know Jesus as their Lord and Savior who will send their kids here and they will find Christ as a result because the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. And the church needs to be different in a crazy world like we live in, in a crazy world like the church lived in when Paul wrote this to the Romans. We need to be different. One of the main messages, and, I, and I, I've heard it put this way, one of the main messages of Romans is don't let the sea get into the lifeboat. S-E-A. Don't let the sea, don't let the water get into the lifeboat. 
In other words, the lifeboat is designed to be in the sea. The church is designed to be in the world. But when the sea starts getting into the lifeboat, the lifeboat isn't worth much anymore. When the world starts getting into the church, the church isn't worth much anymore. I've heard it said, when the salt loses its saltiness. Y'all read that anywhere? It's good for nothing, except to be trampled on. Are you letting any water into your boat? Get personal with this right now. Are you letting any water into your boat? Any of the world into your life? Let's be in the world, but not of the world. The world needs a church that's not of the world. The, the world needs a church that's of the Spirit. Anyway, that's, that's going to be our part one of our Romans overview. And... I hope it whets your appetite to read this incredible letter. I want to remind you that, that this Mission 27 doesn't work if you're not reading the books of the Bible. It doesn't work. You're getting a little bit out of it, but you're not getting what God has for you out of this. I'm just here to stir things up. God's Word is here to change you. So I want to encourage you. We listen to the message. We get some insight in, in how to really approach each one of these books. But you've got to read it. Each book, cover to cover. Read it. And we've got discussion questions to kind of spur things along and, and help you process it and, and apply it to your life. Understand the why helps you properly apply we got life groups and other groups that gather, men's groups and women's groups that gather together. You can talk with one another about these things and spur one another on in the things of the Lord. Next week, we're going to explore how Paul lays out what it means and what it looks like to live a transformed life. I'm kind of I'm switching up some of the messages here a little bit because I feel like we're supposed to just stay in Romans right through Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. And so we're going to go, in Palm Sunday, we're going to go to chapters 12 through the end of the book and look at what it looks like to live a transformed life as a Christian. One who has accepted and believes and has been changed by the gospel of Jesus. And then on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to stay in Romans for our third message and we're going to unpack the important topic of salvation. We're going to look at sin because Romans talks about sin. We just read it from Romans 3.23. We're going to talk about our need for salvation. We're going to talk about justification by faith, this provision that God has given us that we can take hold of and believe. We're going to talk about the freedom that is the result of salvation in Christ. Romans speaks of all of that. It has such good news for us who believe, and for those who yet are to believe. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. Let's stand up and close.